us now is our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, Mr. Al, how's it going out there? You you staying busy out there, staying at home? Sure am. I haven't really been anywhere. Get to go over to Rochester and spend a day with the good folks at Mayo here coming up. But other than that, I really haven't been anywhere, and my wife's making me some sort of a welder's mask to wear when I go in <laughs> at Mayo, so I, I, I'll i probably fit right in with everybody else over there, I'm guessing. I have no idea what that... I'm guessing it'll be otherworldly, but maybe I'll be surprised. <laughs> I, uh, is she, I, I want to know, Al, is she going to make you a mask with like cute little bird prints on it? I think that would be appropriate. I, that would be cool. Yeah. No, I it, whatever she makes will be just perfect. How's that? She's uh, doing, she does lovely work on that sort of thing. So I will uh, walk along and I know everybody oh somebody told me I should wear the blue on the inside and the white on the outside, which is Oh. I guess wrong. You're supposed to wear the blue on the outside of the regular medical mask because that's waterproof and the white on the inside because uh, it's absorbent. But, uh, boy, all this stuff, apparently it comes online. I get more uh, more helpful hints online than, uh, I don't know, people have time, I guess, to send things like that. I'm listening to a rooster pheasant crow right out my window here. He has been crowing up a storm, so I hope he finds a hen somewhere. And I've been uh, just out, put some more feed in. You know, bird feeding, it softens the edges of isolation, and it's been proven that it lowers blood pressure. They they put aviaries in um, oh, care facilities and nursing homes because it, it just it's calming. And birds offer that needed touch of life. And the feeders, <clears throat> I love bird feeders, they act as prisms. So you shine a light through a bird feeder and it radiates countless directions. So all this color appears like blue jays. And this morning they were crying, hey, hey, hey. So I listened to them and I tossed out some peanuts. And I think they were appreciative. They were certainly gluttonous. And I watched a red-tailed hawk work a, a bit of a thermal up high to ease its flight. And I have common grackles. They make sounds like rusty gates. And I have fox sparrows now. They're ripping up the dance floor in my yard with their chicken scratching. And they brought joy to one deep in self-care. So I'm just so appreciative of these good guys. Um, Speaking of pheasants, I should mention, I got some information. Uh, a friend is uh, with Pheasants Forever, and he sent me a publication. And he said producing one migratory monarch butterfly requires 29 milkweed plants, since the butterflies have a survival rate of 1% to 2%. And here it says there's 76 native milkweed species. I know Monarch Watch says there's 73, so I, I'm sure there's some argument of whether some are just a subspecies or a, a separate species. But in here, we've talked about this before, Karen, during World War II, school children helped the war effort by collecting 1.5 billion milkweed pods to fill life jackets. A little over a pound of the cotton-like milkweed floss could keep a soldier afloat over 40 hours. And that's pretty cool. I had a couple aunts that did that, and they were so proud. I think they were... I think one was a Girl Scout when she did it, and one her school did it. And they just thought... 
Oh, it, that was that was a major part of their life for a while. Was going out and doing that because they were helping. They were helping. They had uh, relatives that were in the service, and they were doing something helpful to help those good people. So it was it was really really cool. And we heard turkey vultures. You know, Ralph was kind enough to get a hold of us about the turkey vultures on Kearney, and then Ms. Lona sent me uh, some photos and sent you some photos of that. Yeah. Uh, turkey and vultures. I was going to say, sorry, Ralph just called me today. He wanted me to report this to you. He said last Tuesday night, he said uh, there was about 60 turkey vultures he saw that formed a couple of Ferris wheel-like circles. He go, And then he saw uh, one like 60 in one circle, 20 in another circle, and, and 20 just hanging outside the circles that he saw on Thursday, so some 90 or so that he saw. And then Sunday night he saw there was turkey vultures scattered, and he said maybe Al knows what this is called, but they came in like one at a time, just kind of one at a time. And he said there were some 118, not in these circles or anything, just flying overhead. They came from the southwest around 738 o'clock. So, I mean, that's a lot of turkey vultures that he's been seeing over there. Yeah, and they come in one at a time. I think it's social distancing is <laughs> what they're practicing there. So I would guess they... Um, we've talked a little bit about it, but I know some people probably weren't listening. They They like these big trees, and they like big trees because they can dry out in the morning sun and they feel safe there. They like some proximity to water and they gather in flocks because they, oh, they have more eyes, so it's just a safer way you have a lot of, a lot of eyes to see things. And they can uh, meet that special vulture of their dreams when they gather in groups like this. So if you're a young vulture, you want to go to it. It's like a high school dance kind of thing. You go there and say, hey, how are you doing? And they also do, I think, to find food. So if you're a vulture, you fly in there and say, I am so hungry I could eat a dead raccoon. And you look over this guy next to you, and he's saying, I could not eat another bite of anything. I I think I could go a week without eating now. The next morning, guess what? You're going to follow him because he knows where there's some good food. So it's a way to find out where food is. It's a way to find out that special vulture in your life, and it's a way to be safe. So it's it's why they do that, why they gather in flocks. Uh, there's probably a couple other reasons, but that's the main one. And one thing about turkey vultures is they do prefer meat as fresh as possible, and they won't eat extremely rotted carcasses. And they can smell carrion less than 12 to 24 hours old, so they can smell it pretty quickly. And many of us in our family... <clears throat> either have or had a three-second or five-second rule. In my family, it was three seconds unless it was a cookie, and then I think it was a five-minute rule. But if you drop something on the floor, you can wait a couple seconds and get it. I think vultures have like a 259,200-second rule, something like that. <laughs> but it, it's pretty cool, Ralph, that you're seeing all those, and thanks to Miss Lona, too, for sending the photos in. Uh, there's a lot of them, and most of these roosts are traditional but like all traditions they have to start somewhere so sometimes they will start new roast but i've i've talked about a lot there's a pioneer cemetery in albert lee 
And there, they have been roosting there for, oh, man, as long as we've had a lot of turkey vultures around, that's where they have roosted. And it's a pretty good place being in a cemetery because... Nobody bothers you? <laughs> yeah, they leave you alone in there. Otherwise, it's always, you know how humans are. We pick at things, whether it's a scab on our elbow or something we're looking at. And as a little boy, we poke stuff with sticks. And I don't, it's just something about being a little boy. You poked at things. And that's what we do as, as humans. We poke at things. So turkey vultures want to be somewhere that they don't get poked at or bothered. And why they do that big circle, it's sort of like if somebody had chickens before they go to roost, there's just a, it seems to be a battle where they decide who's going to roost where, and there's so much noise. They just have to determine that little bit of pecking order. And maybe turkey vultures don't have quite those uh, battles, but I'm sure there's a definite pecking order when it comes to turkey vultures, although they seem to be very gregarious and get along pretty well. I've watched some of the wildlife films. And you see a little bit of battles. Uh, these are primarily vultures from other parts of the world, but I would have no doubt that turkey vultures also have those oh, minor disputes when they're over food, and probably the hungrier they get, the more those disputes uh, happen. So, uh, Ralph, thanks, man, 118, let us know. You know, when it gets up to about, a, <laughs> oh, I'd say about 130, we're going to sell, I think. Uh, just think take so? our profits there and, and go away. So, but uh, that is really cool. Hey, Al, I just um, got an, uh, a text from our friend Rich in Mankato. He says, hi, Karen, one batch of eagles have hatched in Decorah. You know the Decorah? Iowa Eagle yep. Cam. I love watching that. That is the coolest thing. But he says one batch of, of eagles has hatched, so you might want to check that out. Yeah, and uh, boy, I can't recommend that highly enough. That is just the coolest thing. And again, it's it's kind of, there's a soap opera-ish uh, element to that. <laughs> and um, Marv Lenz just got a hold of me. Marv is from Elberly. He used to have a, a motorcycle dealership down there for a long time, and he lives on uh, a lake in Albert Lee, and he said there are three bald eagles at a nest that he can see from his house. He says it's uh, there's three of them, he said, and he one's a lot bigger than the other two, so he's assuming it's one female and two males. And he said, what's going on there? And I said, Marv, I have no idea, but I know in uh, Made the News here Oh, earlier this year, it was a tall tree. It was on the Mississippi River, and it was in Fulton, Illinois. There were three eagles, a female and two males, and they had three downy eaglets. And the three were looking after them, feeding them. And that, in this case, they were feeding them freshly caught catfish and trying to keep them away from the edge of the nest. And the three parents were taking turns hunting and nest-sitting, often calling to one another for assistance. So uh, maybe in unprecedented times, you do unprecedented things. And I'm sure there's probably other cases of that too, Marv. But, uh, yeah, it's really good to hear from uh, both you guys. I'm looking at the um, eagle right now on the cam. He had its face, and he was plucking on its feathers a little bit. But... Boy, if you want to see something cool, Al, I'm looking at this cool eagle right now. It's moving around a little bit. There's something under. Oh, there's the babies. I can see them, Al. How exciting oh, is that? Neat. I see the babies neat. under because he's just moving. And now 
Oh, there's two ones yawning. Anyway, it's just it's just amazing to watch. So go to Decora Eagle Cam, and the, they got a focus on the, the babies right now, and they're opening their mouths. They want food, and, and the, the, the mom or dad are just, oh, one egg's not hatched yet either. So do they normally not all hatch at the same time? Uh, they don't, no. So you'll have one that'll be considerably older and bigger than the other ones okay. very often. So the problem with they lay their eggs so early that they really can't leave them for very long. So you have to start incubating as soon as you lay an egg. I mean, you can go for a little bit, but uh, for the most part, you've got to start incubation right away. Otherwise, the eggs fail. So you end up with three eggs. You'll end up with the, the older brother, the younger sister, and then that middle middle one that's always troubling because they try to be the that try to make both sides happy always. It's hard, uh, apparently, being the middle one. I was the youngest one, so I, I don't really, I haven't experienced that, but I know that's what I hear from the middle ones. Uh, TJ, oh, and that Decora Eagle Cam has been going for quite a few years now, so they really know what they're doing, and they really do it well. Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to watch, and I, I know people that have it, a friend called, and he works in an office, and now he's uh, working at home. So that's kind of his screensaver when he's doing stuff. He's got oh. this thing on there, and then he works a little bit. You know, he can slide all those screens around, but that's kind of his screensaver on there. So he said it kind of brightens his day, and he said it gives him uh, uh, a company in a way because he's there all by himself talking on the phone and doing things like that. So. Uh, TJ, Tom Jessen from Medelia said a friend of his called or got a hold of and said there's wood frogs. He's hearing wood frogs or she's hearing wood frogs by St. Peter. Now, wood frogs make sort of a quacking sound. Uh, a lot of people mistake them for a duck. They're common in the northern half of Minnesota, but down here, no. And uh, TJ said the mystery is why they are where they've never been documented before. So, but he sent some photos and said it's just, uh, you know, you know TJ, he's pretty excited now. Yes, he is. And, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's watching he for excited. snakes. He's got secret places that he finds snakes, I guess. And and now that my boys are suddenly interested in in wanting to see snakes, I'll have to get in contact with him and say, okay, where do we find all these secret spots? Because I don't know where they are. TJ is great because he gets excited about stuff he sees regularly, and he gets excited about seeing the old stuff and, and the new stuff both, which is the way we all should be. Um, Donna Swenson of rural Wasika saw some buffalo heads, and they put up some wood duck boxes, and they got a screech owl in there. Uh, Mark Malepsi is the barber in Albert Lee. And he keeps track of when the ice goes out on Fountain Lake. And he said it went out on April 1st. Fountain Lake is in Albertly. The earliest it's ever gone out was March 7th. April 27th was the latest. And April 27th was in 1951 and 2018. And this began in 1912. It's the third oldest record of ice out dates in Minnesota. And I know a lot of them around the area went out April April 1st, right around April 1st. Uh, Bob Lauer, 
Bob sent me, he said, here in Green Valley, Arizona, we find bird watching to be a superb recreation. Reminds me of Emily, Emily Dickinson, hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings a tune without the words and never stops at all. Nancy Sather of Albert Lee said, starlings are battling with the wood ducks for nest boxes. Can, will the wood ducks be all right? You know, the problem is in a fair fight, you just look at them and you say, boy, that wood duck would just whip up on a starling. But starlings will gang up on them. I remember Art Mm -hmm. Hawkins telling me, he was with the DNR for many years and uh, heavily involved in wood ducks, that he had eight starlings kind of beating up on one wood duck. So it, they don't fight fair, and they want those starlings want those wood duck boxes uh, for their nests. And Nancy asked what she can, what could she do? Uh, you know, remove any starling nests and eggs. They are not a protected bird, so you can remove those nests and eggs. Uh, they again, they do gang up on ducks, and Art told me they will puncture duck eggs. And Art had some kind of starling trap. I've never investigated them, but apparently there are starling traps that work with wood duck boxes. Uh, Gunnar Berg, also of Albert Lee, said he saw a hermit thrush today. He said other than waterfowl, that's the first real um, migrating bird he's seen in his yard this year. So he said it's been kind of an odd year, which every year is an odd year. Uh, Bob Hansen of uh, Boy, these guys are all from Albert Lee. Bob Hansen of Albert Lee said, are there white-headed woodpeckers in Minnesota? Um, Boy, you know, unless there's one that has a a case of leukism or something, probably not. There is an actual white-headed woodpecker, and it's found in... uh, Oh, California to British Columbia, out that area. Uh, Will Beard called me, and he has a neighbor who has an owl in a fireplace. Uh, They came home, and the glass fireplace, there's an owl in there looking at them. And it sounds like a little one, so it's probably a screech owl. That would be the one that would get in there. Uh, The birds that are usually found in those kind of shape and condition and predicaments are usually our friend the starling once again they get in there looking for a nest cavity and next thing they know they're in somebody's living room so i told will boy you know if you had a fish net or something maybe you could get the little guy and hopefully not hurt him i would take down all breakable items from that room i'd hide them because if the little owl gets away he's going to ransack your the room he's just and whatever valuable item you might have up there that would be what goes first you know great aunt matilda's ashes kept in an urn that's what would crash to the ground and break uh, so i haven't heard from will but i hope it went well and the poor little owl you know he doesn't want to be there things just went wrong he, he made a mistake we all make one so will was really concerned and i'm sure it's going to work out well uh, Sandy Kopeshka of Fairmont sent me a photo of a bald eagle from from her home. Uh, Paul Gotland of Rochester said, I've been hearing killdeer and coarse frogs for a week. Rick Schrader has said, fox sparrows caught my eye yesterday for the first time this year here in the Little Red House in the Saginaw Wood, not too far from northwest of Duluth. I love them. Sandhill cranes have been calling from my backyard skies, too. Uh, Vicki Laroon 
said, uh, so enjoy your sightings and insights on the birds we enjoy in Minnesota. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Vicki, man, I say thank you three times all the time. I don't know what that, that's, it's cool. Uh, today, Vicki said, I saw my first brown creeper for the year in my bird book. My first sighting was April 20th, 2013. That said, I haven't got a picture yet, but we'll keep trying. I'm sending pictures of three birds in my backyard last May. Some of the pictures are not the best, but I'm hoping you can tell me what they are. I've made a feebly educated guess, but I'd love your backup. They move so fast catching tiny flies or gnats and a kind of dancing in flight. We've also had both male and yellow and female yellow rump warblers since this sighting of a brown creeper was a few weeks earlier than the first sighting in 2013. Do you think we might be seeing the new birds from last year or earlier this year? Thanks for all the bird watching fun you have shared. Well, thank you, Vicki. Uh, brown creeper migration in Minnesota is typically from oh, mid-March to late May, but we do see them here in winter occasionally. They're an uncommon winter a bird. Uh, the difference in dates may have many factors, food, weather, it's just uh, who knows. Uh, the photos you sent were of a common yellow throat and an American red start, both just uh, exquisite birds to look at and just drool over. Uh, Cindy Drill of North Mankato said, this past week I have seen one male goldfinch that was nearly back to full breeding color on my feeder. It was a welcome sight. Since the goldfinches that were so plentiful into early winter had gone oddly absent despite my keeping my feeders filled. Yesterday, killdeer were calling from somewhere nearby. The day before, four sandhill cranes flew over. We normally don't seem to be in the flight path for them. She, uh, our outdoor exercise walks have given us a nice look at a pair of wood ducks and a great blue heron at Hineker Pond, plus a few Canada geese and some mallards at Spring Lake. A type of sparrow was moving in and out of last year's cattails. I didn't get it close enough to, for an ID. This morning, a ruby-crowned kinglet was doing its darnness to flit to every branch on the magnolia over Little Pond, so I got a nice look from the window. Well, thank you very much, Cindy. We had a discussion with some friends about uh, everybody's reading a lot. So uh, bird books. Uh, Carol Schumacher started it, and she's reading a, a book. It's called The uh, the Falcon Thief, which is a, a crime, a mystery. I never it, – it's brand new, I guess, and <clears throat> I – I don't know the, no, she didn't put the uh, author on here. I was looking to see if the author was on here. Um, the Falcon Thief, it's a fictional crime, and uh, I've not read it, and I'm, I'm not a big mystery guy. The mysteries I like are um, actually true mysteries, uh, nonfiction. Uh, Charlene Nelson said, Living on the Wind, Scott Wiedensall. Uh, it's about migration hotspots in the Western Hemisphere. And Phoebe Snetzinger's biography, and The Feather Thief. Uh, I believe that's by Kirk Wallace Johnson, and that is nonfiction. Uh, Lois Rem said, Wesley the Owl, a remarkable love story of an owl and his girl. And that's by Stacey O'Brien. And Robert Jessen from Austin said, Life List by Olivia Gentile. Uh, nonfiction about Phoebe Snetzinger and her quest. And I read that book, and I enjoyed it, but it was 
kind of sad. She just, uh, I don't know. There's obsession and there's obsession, I guess. And she was, she was obsessed with looking at birds. And I, I've been rereading. I'm reading, uh, uh, Weather Central by Ted Couser as poetry. I'm reading a hero, nonetheless, about Albert Miller Lee, of which Albert Lee is named for. I reread uh, Refuge by Terry Tempest Williams. <clears throat> and uh, I also read Finding Beauty in a Broken World by Terry Tempest Williams, and I highly recommend those. Uh, Terry Tempest Williams in Finding Beauty in a Broken World wrote that she'd watch prairie dogs rise before the sun and stand with their paws pressed together as they faced the rising sun in total stillness for up to 30 minutes. And then she watched them at the end of the day make the same gesture 30 minutes before the sun went down, and she used the term prayer dogs and wrote of clay-colored monks dressed in discreet robes of fur standing as sentinels outside their burrows, watching as their communities disappeared one by one, their hands raised up in prayer. Uh, Navajo elders have said, if you kill all the prairie dogs, there will be no one to cry for rain. So I highly recommend that. Uh, Pamela Freeman, a couple more here. Pamela Freeman said uh, she saw 10 wood ducks, five pairs, marching determinedly through the thicket near her home looking for suitable real estate. And she said they're done, they don't have any big trees there, but she hopes they have found something. And she's hearing chorus frogs. That's the one that sounds like a, a finger on a comb or I thumbnail heard, on a comb. I heard that last night. I was walking around the, the hilltop here around the campus, and there's a swampy area. And boy, did I hear a lot of those those frogs and the birds, and it's it's just a real busy time for them. It's a wonderful time. There's a lot going on out there. the The bird economy is booming. You know, yeah. everything else kind of slowed down for us, but for them, everything's just going on normal. Uh, Betsy Kerr said she saw a ruby crowned kinglet, brown creeper. She said, "I love watching a creeper climb up the silver maple trunk." and then flitter down to the base and start all over again like the eensy-weensy spider, but without the rain. Yeah, that's that's the way they do. Then they, they do fly down to the bottom and they go up again. Uh, the last thing I have is something that a friend of mine, Carol Henderson, wrote. Uh, he was a former director of the Nungame Wildlife Program of the DNR for 41 years, said that in 1929, the Minnesota legislature removed legal protections from eagles, hawks, owls, and falcons. Why did they do that? They declared them outlaw birds before eventually coming to their senses and restoring the protections in 1948. So I've talked to a lot of guys primarily from that period, 29 to 48, maybe when they were kids, and they said, oh, yeah, you just you shot everything. So there was no law against it, and apparently there wasn't. Hey, Al, before hope- you, don't, you got to stop because I got to get this in. My, my husband had told me to ask you this, okay? So before you oh, go, that's right, yeah. out in the yard, he saw a cardinal, and it's a beautiful, you can tell it's a cardinal by its shape, but it's, its head and its front, like chest is red, but the rest is all kind of brown, like a dull kind of muddy brown, the tail and the, and the, um, you know the the back feathers and stuff so he's like well why does this cardinal look kind of like half cardinal and half something else uh, it's uh, probably a female 
that's just a little more colorful than oh. some other ones. Because the females will be red on the on the crest. They'll have red on the wing. They'll have red on the tail. So they they will be kind of a beautiful brown color. It's a just a I think they're lovely birds. They're about pale brown overall, and they'll have these reddish tinges in the wings, tail, and crest. Uh, their bill is a, a bright red, but there's usually not much red on the chest. And we think of birds like that as young cardinals, but they wouldn't be having them now, and the young cardinals would have black bills. So my guess would be it's a female okay. that's uh, really, really dressed out in uh, just a, a lovely plumage. Well, I'll so. send you the picture because he actually took a picture through the screen. So it's, you oh, know, cool. not, it's not really close or anything, but I mean, it was in the pond. We have a ton of birds in the pond now taking baths. Is this the time of year they find water they want to get clean, like spring cleaning or something? Yeah, I, they do, but they, they like water and they like being clean and they need to take a lot of baths to keep their feathers in working condition. So if they allow them to get dirt, it's they're not good things aren't going to happen they, they might that hawk might come after them and if their feathers were in better shape they would escape but because they didn't maintain their feathers then bad things happen kids floss your teeth <laughs> and maintain your and, and also maintain your social distance same thing do what you're told and um, a friend of mine is washing her hands while singing Staying Alive. Yes. So that's how she times <laughs> out her hand washing. Now, I still, I'm still doing uh, happy birthday to me because I, I don't know who else's birthday is on the day. So I'm, I'm sorry there's no cafe open here, but uh, I hope that you all, I know it's too late now, but superstition says if you say rabbit, rabbit, aloud, <laughs> First thing upon arising on the first day of the month, you'll have good luck all month. And I, I often forget, but on April 1st, this just passed one, I bellowed it for all the world to hear. I went outside and just, yeah, my wife was sleeping yet, so I go outside and I yell, rabbit, rabbit. Um, on a totally unrelated note, my car is getting three weeks to the gallon of gas, which is just <laughs> incredible. I never dreamed I'd get that. But one of the many problems of living in unprecedented times is that I may not have appreciated the precedented times enough. And I'm hunkering down lower and lower like a lot of you. I've, I'm thankful I've managed to avoid watching marble racing. My and son, my wife. Al, my sons love marble racing. They've been doing that forever. Oh. So, I mean, apparently it's very entertaining. It's. I hear more about marble racing <laughs> than I ever dreamed I would. A friend calls, he said, marble racing. And then he put that pause, like I'm supposed to jump in and say, I know, right? I, I had no idea what he was talking about, so he had to tell me all about it. My wife wears a mask and gloves to go grocery shopping, and I want her to wear a hazmat suit. And I'm a husband, you know, I, I need my wife to be healthy, and then I need affirmation and treats and news. So I ask if she's heard any tales from a foreign land, the grocery store. And before she could reply, the phone rang. Someone called to tell me that spring had sprung, and that scares me. I hope weather isn't listening. And he asked what I was doing while on a short tether. I told him it's important to do something you love. 
and he ended the call by thanking me for reminding him he'd love to take a nap. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Boy, I just I want you all to stay well, so be cautious. Wash those hands. I don't know what. Wash your hands 147 times a day, I think, is a good idea. So, Karen, thanks always for your good company, and I look forward to seeing that uh, photo, and it's great from hearing from all of you. Absolutely. We thank everybody for tuning in and sending your information to Al. Here, this this song is for you. You mentioned Staying Alive. This is the parody, Staying Inside. Have a good one, Al. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.